Well, hi, it's great to be with you. Uh, what a joy to be able to spend a few minutes looking at God's Word together with you. Um, if you have a Bible, could you grab it? Because we're going to be in Psalm 77 today. But rather than putting the message up on the, the text on the screen, which is often what we do, this is like a sort of a special message for the, for the online service that we're doing. Because today we're celebrating uh, Diversity Sunday in person in the church, which means we've got a number of small testimonies being brought together in the in-person meeting. So this really is just for those of us who are watching at home or online. And I'd love it if you could grab your Bible because we're going to go through the text a verse at a time and we won't be on the screen. And for that reason, it'd just be helpful to do it almost like a devotional. So we're reading it together and, and studying together, if that's something you have. So if you've got a physical Bible and can grab it, I'm sure that would be helpful. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version in a moment. And what I want to do is to read Psalm 77. I mean, the Psalms are wonderfully rich, aren't they? They're just deep and worshipful and meditative and helpful for us. But many of them focus our eyes on the faithfulness of God in different ways and for different reasons in Israel's story. And this one in particular, I think, is a great Psalm about what we do, how we find the faithfulness of God to be a comfort to us when we are in trouble, what we do in the day of trouble. The Psalmist is going to talk about it a lot. And when we encounter bumps in the road or when we encounter utter tragedy or chaos as you may have and people very close to me have in the last few weeks you realize wow that person's just hit something and the bottom's fallen out of their life what do we do in the day of trouble because it will come to us all and so what are we going to do with it and how does the faithfulness of God restore and help us when those things happen. And so I want to read Psalm 77. It's written by a, a brother called Asaph, who was one of the sort of worship leaders and musicians and psalmists of, in Israel in the period after King David. And it's just a powerful, he writes a number of powerful psalms, but this one in particular. I'm going to read it from the very top. So often when we read the psalms, we start with the sort of what looks like the opening line of the song, but actually in scripture, the introductory section is also part of the inspired text of the Bible. It's written in, in the Bible Jesus read. So we're going to start there and then read the whole thing and walk through it a bit. Um, Psalm 77, beginning at verse 1. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I can't speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. 
You've made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of God. It's a beautiful, rich psalm that comes from the psalmist's day of trouble. And we know that he's asking this right at the beginning, what on earth is God going to do for me? How am I going to get out of this position of trouble I'm in? And he says very explicitly in verse 2, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, and then describes how he responds to this sense of grievance and heaviness and weight that he experiences. Of course, we don't know what it is. This is often true. Sometimes you're reading the Psalms and you, somebody's very explicit and they say, this is because this thing happened to me. Or maybe that little headline that I, I mentioned before, the opening introductory sentence to the Psalm might say, oh, this is King David when King Saul was trying to kill him or when his son rebelled. But with Asaph, we often don't know. And in this, I don't know, when it says to the choir master, according to Jedathan, I don't know what Jedathan even is. It's No one does. It's a sort of musical term, but we don't know what it would imply. All we know is that Asaph is experiencing a deep personal trouble, trauma, crisis. We don't know exactly what it is. But he's writing this psalm in such a way that the whole congregation of Israel might use it. And that's why that, that phrase, to the choir master, is important. This isn't just like someone journaling and someone saying, oh, I'll write down, this is very painful. And I think this is a great practice, by the way, to often ask people to do it. In training courses I've done, write your own psalm out of your own place of where you are and turn it to praise. But Asaph isn't only doing that. He's doing it so that everyone might join in. He's saying to the choir master, I want Israel to sing this. I want the church in generations to come to sing this and reflect on it and for people like us to study it and see the work of God. And what I want people to see is how I am processing the trouble I'm in and what I'm going to do with it. And I'm going to sort of walk through this in three sections, but you, as we go through a verse at a time, I trust you'll see how these things all hang together. What do you do in the day of trouble? What does Asaph do in the day of trouble? And what he does is he cries and moans. That's the first thing he does. He Effectively, I would say he prays his pain in verses 1 to 4. He cries and moans. He, there's a lot of emotional language, particularly at the front end of the psalm. Then he searches and considers. That's the second major section of the psalm, verses 5 to 9. He searches and considers. He asks questions. He effectively doubts his own doubts. He, he has a conversation with himself and says, hang on a second, you're acting as if God's not there, but what about this? And are you really saying that about God? And then in the third section, which is verses 10 to 20, he talk, uses the language of, I remember an appeal. And he effectively then says, you, what you need to do is begin to rehearse in your own mind the faithfulness of God through the generations. Remember what God's done and appeal to them in prayer and appeal to them even in your own soul so you can tell, hang on a second, God has not forgotten. And so he moans and cries, he searches and considers, and then he remembers and appeals. And I think he provides us in that sense with a model of what we can do when we encounter crisis. Now, we've preached messages on this before. If you've been watching online for a while, you'll know we've circle around to this and particularly in the opening months of the pandemic we spent quite a lot of time looking at psalms just like this one 
which in which we what do we do with pain and challenge and sorrow and grief because it always comes to us and some of us are the reason why we're watching this today is because we are experiencing some sort of sorrow or pain or trouble in our lives and we're looking for hope from God so this is how Asaph does it and he starts by crying and moaning by weeping by lamenting by praying his pain I cry aloud to God aloud to God and he will hear me that's quite a start, isn't it? I am going to wail, cry, shout. It's like in, in our English word cry. They, they have these two meanings, don't they? Both to, <laughs> to sort of actually weep out loud, but also to call out. And in some ways, both are intentionally connected. We are intended to cry out to God and say, if I make enough noise in lament, God will hear me. That's where he starts. Doesn't start by saying, do you know what? It's all really good. God's good all the time. I know that. I've just got this little bump. He, he doesn't start there. He will affirm that in a moment. But where he starts is, I'm going to weep aloud. I'm going to wail. I say, God, what are you doing? Why has this been allowed to happen to me? And I, if I cry loud enough, God's going to hear me is the implication. And it's interesting. He, he later will do the same thing as he's done in his opening verse. It's something that is much harder to see in English. But in the original language, he uses the word voice twice here. Is it, it's almost like I voice loud to God. Now, we wouldn't use that word. But actually, I, I voice, I voice. And then later in the psalm, we're going to hear God's voice used twice, which again, we don't see in English because we translate it as a thunder or crash. But effectively, in God, your voice was heard, your voice. So I voice and I voice because God will hear me. But then later in the psalm, God's voice, God's voice has been heard. And effectively, what we do in prayer is, of course, we raise up our voice to God and we come to the word and we ask for God's voice to be heard to us as well. So that's how he begins, his, his cry aloud to God, that God will hear him, is how he, how he starts. He begins with a confidence that God will listen and then moves on to the desperate cry of anguish and lament that is going to come. Verse 2, he says, In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. Now that sounds like an odd phrase because you, <laughs> you and I don't lie in bed unable to sleep and then just... If I just hold, hold on my hand like that and my arm will, I'm sure, you just go, that'd be very tiring. What he means, of course, is hands being stretched out is a posture of prayer. So he means I'm praying the whole time. I, I can't sleep because of this sorrow that's come upon me. And instead of going to bed, I'm going to remain up now. He's probably slightly using hyperbole or we might say even exaggerating, saying, of course, it's not like he never sleeps, but he's saying at the moment, I'm in the kind of place where I'm spending the nights unable to sleep, but instead putting out my arms in prayer and raising them as long as I can, just calling out to God because I need him to break through in this situation. And he prays his pain. He cries, he moans. My soul refuses to be comforted. Notice the emotions of prayer here, the depth with which he feels these things. Prayer is not meant to be, yes, Lord, and so we believe that you are good and I'm sure you'll help us in the end and, and in your own time. No, there's a there's an anguish, an urgency here. My soul refuses to be comforted, Lord, until you've done something about this situation. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. It's like a moaning in prayer. Now, I, to be honest, very rarely got there, personally. I've had seasons in my life where that has happened, where I just don't know where something so rough has happened to me that I don't quite know how to articulate it. It just goes, but it's kind of rare, at least in my, my experience, but the psalmist and many other psalmists, Jewish 
psalmists are very visceral in their prayer lives, aren't they? And so they cry out, say, when I remember God, I moan and my spirit faints. And that language of, uh, when I meditate, my spirit faints. When that language of meditation and spirit is going to return in just a couple of verses' time. It's helpful to us for us to notice. It's going to recur in, uh, in verse 6. But so that's the, effectively the opening four verses of the psalm, the opening section until the first selah. So you know that word, again, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see it on the side. It's a Hebrew word. Again, no one really knows what it is. It might mean musical interlude. It might mean, here's time for a, a jam. Everyone, the band's just going to go off with it. It may just mean pause. We don't know. But that's the first section. He praises pain. He cries and moans. The second thing he does is he begins to search and consider and ask and have a dialogue with himself about what this anguish means and what it says about God. So start of verse four, you hold my eyelids open, I'm so troubled that I can't speak. I don't know how often that's happened to you. It's pretty rare, I expect, I hope it is for you, it has been for me, but sometimes it happens where something is so bleak you just don't know what to say. And in that moment, you may, have, you may, as I often do, you find yourself saying out loud, I don't know what to say, because nothing else comes out. Like, what, 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 that kind of thing. Well, that's where he's got to in verse 4. So it's pretty, whatever it is, it's pretty horrible. But then he begins to have a conversation with himself and begins to, like, rouse his own soul and redirect his thoughts. So it's in verse 5, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said... Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? So what he does is he begins to say, like, I, I actually need to not, I need to process my emotion. I need to pray, I need to cry out. And he said, God, why can't you hear me? Pray your pain. But he also wants to doubt his doubts. He also wants to have a conversation with himself and say, then I had to start, I started to consider the days of old. That's what I did, is I look back, and one of the reasons why Christians need scripture is, and we'll come on to this in a moment, is you need to look back and remember all the things God's done before. But we need to do it in our own lives as well. He made me a very new Christian. You may actually have very little personal experience to draw on, and that's where coming into the word is so important, because we draw on the, the legacy of the thousands of years of the people of God. But some of us are older than others, and some of us, again, are watching this because we have been following Christ for five, six, seven decades, I don't know. And we've got a lot of remembrances of the days of old, of the things that the Lord has done for us. And what the psalmist is trying to do is to say, hang on, right now I'm confronted with things I cannot understand and are deeply painful. And I'm at risk of throwing the whole thing out. My, but at the same time, I can remember these things God did. And so I know that what I'm currently experiencing is not the whole picture. And in our generation, that's such an important thing because everyone walks around with these things in their pockets, which continually going, in fact, you might be watching on one of these things, I don't know. And, but as people are, are doing that, they're going, this, look, here's a new thing, here's a new thing. Forget the old stuff, this is brand new. And the people of God are people who have maturity involved saying, no, I know that this is going on now and I feel this now, but I also, if I, I've got to consider the days of old, the years long ago. I've got to, hang on, let me remember my song in the night. I've sung that kind of thing before, and this is what God did. I've sung songs in the night. I sing songs in the day on the mountaintop, and I sing songs in the valley. And I know how they go, and I remember that melody, and I need to call that to mind as well. Otherwise, my present reality will overwhelm my history. 
And I mustn't let that happen. I need to draw the riches of what God has already done for me and us, his people, and I need to draw it into the present. So he says, verse 6, let remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? That word diligent is interesting. Let's dig into it for a moment. For you to doubt your doubts, because that's what's going on, right? Lord, where are you? Don't know what's going on. He's, I'm doubting you. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to consider the stuff you have already done in order to doubt my doubts. I'm going to take hold of those things you've done and I'm going to put them in conversation with my present emotional experience and I'm going to try and let that correct that. That's what he's doing. And that takes work. It involves what he calls a diligent search. I literally I kind of had to rummage around in my own soul and in my own history to remind myself, hang on a second, is it really? Will the Lord spurn forever? Is that a thing? Will the Lord spurn? Will the Lord always? Is, he, is this just going to be the last time I ever hear from God? And is God now going, do you know what? I'm done with Andrew. I'm done with so-and-so. No, that can't be true. So he, my spirit rummaged around in my own history and in the word and said, will the Lord spurn forever? Of course, and the answer implicitly is, of course he won't. Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? See what he's doing. He's saying, let's just, let's just play the tape through and ask the big question. Is it, am I seriously saying that the fact that I'm experiencing this crisis now means that the Lord's promises have been broken and that he's never again going to be favorable to me and that his steadfast love, which as all the psalmists know, endures forever. Am I seriously saying that his steadfast love has run out? I can't, he's like he's doubting his doubts. He's, I can't possibly believe that that's true. Verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? So he's appealing to the essence of the Hebrew picture of God. The Hebrew picture of God, the Jewish picture of God, the, some, some would say the most dense summary of God's identity in the whole Bible is Exodus 34 and verse 6, where the Lord, the Lord merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he takes all those terms. Has his steadfast love ceased? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he shut up his compassion? Are we really saying that God, who by definition is merciful, gracious and full of steadfast love, that he's somehow forgotten to be those things in my situation? Of course not. And so he's drawing on a long-term perspective and the revelation of God in scripture to challenge his own doubts that God has forgotten him. And he's asking the questions to which Lamentations chapter three is the answer. You may think, what's Lamentations three? But you may know the, in the song which we sing based out of Lamentations three, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, every morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, great is your faithfulness, O Lord. He's also drawing on Exodus 34. And that picture of God. And so the psalmist is taking that picture of God and then saying, is that, am I saying that God is no longer like that? Of course not. So he's asking that question personally for him. Lamentations 3 is affirming that God has not lost those things, but he's, he's saying it corporately for the whole nation as they've lost their, their land and their temple. But they're both doing the same thing. They are appealing to the nature of God and saying, Lord, whatever else is going on here, you are never going to stop being full of steadfast love. You're never going to not be faithful. You're never going to lose. Somehow your mercy or your grace has just got lost behind the sofa. That's never going to happen. I know it won't because that's what it means to be God. 
And so I appeal to you and I am going to doubt my doubts. So verses one to four, the psalmist he is praying his pain. He's crying and moaning. Verses five to nine, the psalmist is doubting his doubts. He's searching and considering. And then finally, verses 10 to 20, for the rest of the psalm, the psalmist is remembering and appealing to the history of God, particularly in the Exodus. And I think if we were going to apply it today, I think we'd say, pray your pain, doubt your doubts, and read your Bible. I think that's how we'd apply it. That's how I would apply it anyway. Because, of course, the psalmist is remembering but many people in his day couldn't read and it may not be the primary way even some of us engage with the history of God's people, but we, we might just repeat them to one another. But I think for most of us, the way in which we're going to remember the deeds of the Lord is not just to try and remember things in our own story, but to draw on the whole weight of God's story and remember what God has done. And the way we do that is by reading our Bible. So we pray our pain, we doubt our doubts, and we read our Bible. Verse 10, this is the turning point. He's asking all these questions. Has God forgotten? And we know he's going to say no, but he hasn't said no quite yet. He's just asked these rhetorical questions. That's what we'd call them. And then in verse 10, he says this. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. That's what I'm going to appeal to. So I've got pain and I'm going to cry it out to the Lord. I've got doubts and I'm going to answer those doubts. I'm going to question those doubts with God's heritage in my own life. And then thirdly, I'm going to appeal to something. I'm going to say, ultimately, the, the casting vote here is going to go to the years of the right hand of the Most High, which is God has got a track record of over and over and over and over again, stepping in and redeeming people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And I'm going to appeal to that history to help me engage with the trouble I'm in at the moment. And that is how the faithfulness of God ends up being the answer we need to the present crisis or doubt or day of trouble we're in. I will appeal to this. You, brothers, and brothers and sisters, you need to know that when you are in trouble, the thing to which you can appeal, you, you've got to pray your pain. You've got to cry out to God and say, Lord, this is terrible. What are you doing to me? You've also got to doubt your doubts. I see the psalmist does. But you've also got to come to him and say, Lord, my appeal, the thing on which I base my confidence, the place where I can say, Ultimately, I will be delivered, even if not today or not tomorrow, but I will be delivered. And I know that because of the years of the right hand of the Most High, because of the track record God has in rescuing his people from darkness, slavery, sin and death. And I know that track record. I'm going to appeal to it. The years of the right hand of the Most High. So he begins to speak to himself. Verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Notice the, the different verbs he's using. I'll appeal, I'll remember, I'll ponder, I'll meditate. I'll, some of these things are more about thinking. Some of them are more about, you know, figuring out. Some of them are more about just going, about, oh yeah, I need to make sure I've still got that in mind. I'll call it to mind. And Again, Lamentations does the same. This I call to mind, and therefore I've got hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's what he's doing. I'm going to ponder. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make a diligent search, as we saw earlier. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. And so then he turns to pray back to God the things which he knows to be true. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You're the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. 
Selah. So in that third sort of big section, he begins to say, I'm going to appeal. I'm going to remember, ponder, meditate. And then in the final few verses, almost continuing in that, what I'm calling the third section about, you know, let's, let's be those who remember and appeal. Let's read our Bibles. But what he does is to specifically zero in on one particular moment in Israel's history, which is usually the moment to which the psalmists, to be honest, everybody in the Bible, turns when they want to remind themselves of the power and mighty deliverance of God after in a period of trouble. Because Israel has never been in such trouble, really, as they were in slavery in Egypt, and it's never lasted so long. 400 odd years of being enslaved. And so that's the, if you want an example to look to and say, can you tr truly trust God to break in on your behalf? The Exodus is where you go. And that's where the psalmist concludes with lots of imagery drawn from the Exodus story, but quite poetic. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Now that's a description of the crossing of the Red Sea, but in a very poetic way. So the psalmist is saying, the Red Sea looked at you, O God, and ran away because they were scared and created space for us to pass through. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. It's a very vivid picture of the cosmic drama of the Exodus. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Now, do you remember me saying a few moments ago that the psalmist started by saying, I voice to God, I voice? but then was answered later, and in this case in verses 17 and 18, by the voice of God. The skies gave forth thunder. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. In Hebrew, that's the word voice. So it's like, and Hebrew's just got not as many words as English. That's why it happens. So we, we know what he means is thunder, because that's what happens when lightning goes and the sky gives voice. But in Hebrew, what's happening is I'm voice, I voice. But actually, I've got to remember, you voiced, you voiced. You spoke, you did things, you broke through for your people. And that's why I can appeal to those things as landing uh, and giving me hope uh, for today. And then he lands, the whole psalm, verses 19 to 20. Your way, speaking to God, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And that is obviously another poetic picture of the Exodus story, that your footprints were through the great waters, but you, we didn't see your feet. And actually you invisibly led your people through the Red Sea. So in a sense, it is simply a statement, that's what you did then. But of course, those of us who have had the privilege that Asaph did not have of reading the gospel story also know that this is exactly what Jesus did and what the gospel writers try and point us back to. They say, Jesus did exactly that. Jesus literally walked on the water with his footprints unseen and got into a boat with his disciples and said, take heart, it's me. It's going to be okay. The I am is with you in your day of trouble. And so although we've got the reassurance of Asaph, and I trust it is helpful to see how Asaph handled his problems. You know, we've got to pray our pain. We've got to doubt our doubts. We've got to read our Bible, remember the deeds of the Lord. Actually, we have an advantage that Asaph did not have, which is that we know that God not only speaks these things to the psalmist in hundreds of years before Christ, but that actually hundreds of years later, God in Christ was going to come and personally embody this. And he was going to pray with us. And he was going to doubt doubts with us. And he was going to stand and cry alongside us. And he was literally going to walk on the waters through the great sea and leave footprints unseen because of his presence with us in the midst of our trouble. So if you are, and to be honest, some of us are, some of us aren't yet, some of us have previously and are glad to be through it. 
Others of us, this is very new, and we don't know how, it will, how we will cope with trouble when it comes. But as and when the day of trouble comes to you, as it came to our brother Asaph, pray your pain, doubt your doubts, read your Bible, and appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the encouragement that it contains for struggling, suffering people. Thank you for how real it is. Thank you for how close you come to us by your spirit now as we're talking, in your son in person, in your word as you speak and show us how people in previous generations have handled these challenges. And we pray, Lord, for all of us who are watching, listening right now, those, particularly those who are suffering and those, those who today are experiencing a day of trouble, Lord, that you would come to us in comfort and proximity and almost tangible presence that we might know that you are with us, that you have not forgotten us, and that one day you will ultimately deliver us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.